Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. classic big interview. This season, we're going all the way back to 2019-2020, and we've picked out one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Way back at what seemed then, felt like the start of a football season, I tipped Brendan Rodgers Leicester to be the disruptors, which broke into the big four. When play was suspended by this damn virus, they sat third in the league, closer to Man City in second than they were to Chelsea in fourth. Buzzing. Leicester, as a club, is a systematic success. But Brendan Rodgers has become a huge part of that system, and his career at this point leaves no room for doubting that he's in the top tier of coaches. Promotion and a mid-table Premier League finish with a beautiful Swansea team so close to that elusive league title with Liverpool, a perfect domestic season with Celtic, and now this. Leicester playing with all their organisation, relying on good signings, but playing with a flow and a verve and a system that's bewitching. I wanted to talk to Brendan about all of this, but as you'll hear, I was also fascinated by his life immediately before his coaching career began, when he chose to travel repeatedly to a country that he'd identified as ground zero for the type of football he wanted to stake his reputation to, Spain. Thank you for listening. We've got the enormous pleasure of uh, an extremely uh, lean, tanned, and approximately 28-year-old Brendan Rogers with us right at the moment to, to talk football. And, and Brendan, I'm going to pin your ears back. I'm sorry, but this is a beautiful... Welcome to the big interview. Um, an, an honour and a pleasure to have you here. We've had about 14.5 million listens to a series where all we want to do is pick the brains of people whose, whose football careers basically we envy, including... Yours. Um, I'd like you to explain to our listeners a little bit about the way in which, if I remember it correctly, uh, once you, you told me that the structure of Barcelona's football weekends are such that you can come and graze right across the picnic table. Try and tell people what, what, what was it, because you kind of went, I'm going there. That's what I'm going to do. 
just talk us through the, the logical process of what you wanted to do and how it felt to be in Barcelona of, of a given weekend when you were there as kind of like a scholar of football. Yeah, and I've been on a number of trips. I came on my own, I came with other coaches and then I actually, you know, I took my son so that he could be born into the, the feeling of, of Barcelona as well. I remember taking Anton and, and, it was, and it was exactly that. It was, as you say, Graham, it was grazing in a, in a wonderful, you know, football city. We would book into a hotel and I would, I would go, I'd watch the young players play. Um, oh, you know the cadetes and the juveniles and and and, and the okay. guys, and then we would then work our way through to the uh, the B team, and I always try and time it so that the obviously the B team would have been playing at home, and you always had that feeling that you were sat in the mini stadium watching the B team, and then just in the distance, in the, the close distance, you could see you could see the the camp now, but not only that, you could hear the music. Because the music would start just before the game, they were obviously practicing to make sure the music would go. But there was just this incredible feeling of football from watching the kids and the talents all playing the same way with the same philosophy. Could you see that? Because you're what people need to understand is that on the Sunday morning you're out at the training ground, which is out towards the airport, and you can get in. And when you say the cadetes and juveniles, you could have watched a range of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds, but you reckon you could identifiably see youngsters who'd been schooled to do the same thing with space, with position, with passing the ball. You could actually go, Ah, look, look, Anton, that. Can't you see? It's like an alphabet they've all learned. Yeah, absolutely. It's one hundred percent, and and that was the and that was the 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 passion for me, in the fact that you, you had a top to tail philosophy that was very very clear. So the young players coming in came into a process, and people don't understand the discipline needed to not just play that way, but to work that way for so many years through generations. You know, that, that tactical discipline to get young players to think about the game in a different way, positionally, understand the game and understand the why and what they're doing on the pitch, that really always always struck me because that's a top organisation from the very, very top, of course, from, from Cruyff when they really introduced it at that moment. And then that fed all the way through. And actually, and, and if you remember after Cruyff, that, you know, there was periods there in Barcelona where they didn't always have the success, but they stayed with it and stayed with it. And then they had the golden generation, which then really lit up the philosophy and, and brought it to its maximum with, with, with Pep. How, how did this journey of discovery go? Were there setbacks? Did people help you? Were, were they welcoming? What was, what was Span- what your experience of Spanish culture when you went there as a sort of pioneer? Well, what I learned, Graham, was how to treat someone when they come into your country. Because I was always treated very, very well. I was given great access and, and it really opened my eyes when I was a really young coach that no one would know, you know, when I went to, to Spain, all of the clubs were very reciprocal to me coming, letting me watch training, letting me understand how they functioned and how they worked. And I was, you know, you would always get your, your coffee and be looked after, you know. And, uh, and, and as far as, you know, guys being, you know, 
asking me to stay in their house. And, you know, when I would go to Valencia, I stayed with a, a very famous player there who was working for us at the time at Chelsea, Juan Sol. And Juan Sol was obviously the king of Valencia and then played at Real Madrid with Vincent Del Bosque. And, but Juan was, Juan was amazing, you know. And um, just just guys really, really wanting to, to help me, older generations, but they, they really opened the door for me to, to get into these clubs. You see, Brendan, it, I feel, without being critical, I feel that quite often in, in British football, or what you and I have learned in, in our lifetimes, it's a little bit like industry. Secrets or, or ideas are uh, your um, possessions. You wouldn't normally share. There's a lot of jealousy and secrecy. Whereas I sat down with a, a development man at, at the Federation and he said, oh, I'm taking all the... He was giving me a big interview for the book that we had and he said, I'm taking all this several years ago to St George's Park. And I was like, why... Are you going to train English coaches and footballers? To I said, one, it's for the good of football because we spread these ideas and football goes. Two, by the time they're doing this, we'll have moved. Super answer. But did you get the feeling that you were in a football nation that wanted to share, not just out of politeness to Brendan Rodgers, but because there was a theme of if we share this, the, the game will grow? I suppose I never really looked at it that way uh, Graham, it was it was more that the the openness of them towards me and the fact that they inherently believed in that way of working, and and like what you've said, most coaches like ourselves, you know what what you give out today, we're already looking for tomorrow's, you know, and and also not only that, you you can you can you could give a book. To, to someone, but if they don't understand it and they don't believe in it, then they're never going to work that way anyway. You know, because to 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 play the way the teams do, to play the technical game in that way and 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 the beautiful football, you have to have an inherent belief in it. You have to to really believe in it under pressure, and uh, and that's that that's that's why. Sometimes it's difficult for for coaches to adopt that way of playing. You, believing it under pressure refers to the player with the ball, the player making the run, the player who's got to hold his wide position when he's not getting the ball. It applies to the coach when saying, "Okay, we're up against a team. Everybody's six two. Like Mourinho always wanted guys six foot and above. We're up. Your nerve is about. I believe. I believe. It doesn't matter that it's not happening. I believe." It's central to me. I, I will never forsake these principles. That's the idea you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you're, you know, if you have a, a belief and a value in your work, then uh, that's that's the path that you go down. And of course, you're not totally fixed and naive to to the tactics of the game. But you know, I've had situations, especially in the beginning of my career, where. You, you say you've played a game and you've won a game and I remember a game at Watford where we, we, we got performance of the week and we won the game 2-0 but I came in after the game and it was arguably as unhappy as I've been as a manager why? just because of the nature we we played I had only gone into Watford not that long and uh, we were getting some good results but and we were slowly getting towards uh, performing how I'd want to perform but um, but I still wasn't overly happy with, with how we 
we played and even though we won the game for me it's always about development it's about performance uh, because I think if you can perform to a high level that's going to get you closer to the results that you want and then ultimately at the top level hopefully get you closer to winning what it is you need to win what impact did it have on you not necessarily when Guardiola was appointed because you'll have known and admired him as an organising passer and a key element of the dream team but when he takes over in 2008 Brendan you'll know from your time here there weren't great fanfares and and literally apart from Cruyff and Chiqui Pigeristein nobody really knew what was about to happen but during that year when they win the treble and when he refines the team and that identity you're talking about at Watford, because the, the, the merging of, I've got these talents, I've, I've got this guy out of the squad and they're playing my way. What effect was all of that having on you? One, in terms of you enjoying the football and two, in terms of you going, yeah, 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 this, this is what I want. Yeah, no, he was so influential in that period. You know, he had a... He had the cracks, he had the top talents, but one, how he emotionally was able to hook them, you know, because it's one of the biggest things when you when you watch Barcelona or have you ever played against Barcelona, it's how hard they work. So to get top players to suffocate the ball that way, to shorten the pitch, to really make them run, Firstly, there's a real talent and management there in, in relation to uh, emotionally with players getting the buy-in. And then, too, for him, it was the norm. He was going to allow them, get them playing the Barcelona way, getting back to big intensity, domination of pressing, being aggressive, and then playing a positioning game. Not only a positioning game, but the speed of which they played was um, was absolutely remarkable and game after game after game and just seeing like I said real talents work that hard but but have the hunger to do it every every uh, every game I, I'm I'm not looking for fortification from from you I'm asking a question but I, I remember I always used to write or say on television <clears throat> that this type of pressing isn't simply an athletic thing clearly although you're you're trying to, sh- because of your position and your reaction time, you're trying to shorten the number of metres you have to run to press. It's not a 25-metre press by any manner of means. But to me, pressing is a psychological thing. One, like you said, and I'm not certain every listener will understand because a lot of people still think you're a good player, you're playing for a successful or a buoyant team, you're paid extraordinary money. Well, go and run we know that's not necessarily the attitude that you actually have to persuade them on top of that. So one, that's a psychological thing. And two, you have to know, you know, we're speaking of VE day. If you think about Battle Battle of Britain, they press in formation. They press in RAF formation. It's like, if I'm here, I know he'll be there and he'll be there. I'm behind me. These are the things you're hinting at when you talk about, you you called it a buy-in. Yeah, well, well, firstly... You, you have to, and, and that's what I say when I talk with the players emotionally, you can have no ego. When you're, when you're pressing with that intensity and that aggression, then you can have no ego because you have to do it. But, but secondly, it's the synchronisation of it all. That's what's absolutely 
key in it because you can have no gaps. You know, if you're pressing from that front three or that midfield three, but the back four are as deep as hell, then they play through that and then you're exposed. So the team always has to be synchronised and be together. Uh, and that was the beauty of, of, of that team, watching the how narrow they made the pitch. Uh, but again, tactically reading the game. You get players understanding football. And it wasn't just about the, the, the guy pressing on the ball, it's the next pass. And then they could... Maybe there'll be three, four passes, and then they, then they get it back. It was just a, a phenomenal uh, piece of coaching and with top-class players to, to make them play that way. Once they went through at Chelsea in that extraordinary match where over the two legs there had been a number of unusual decisions, red cards, penalties not given on, in both legs, Iniesta scores late, etc., any, any split loyalties at that time because Chelsea has been an important club in, in your life a, a, a good learning place a good place to expose your talents and, and and that was quite a contentious match and to some extent I imagine if you allow me to paint it black and white there's there's friends and employers or ex-employers and, and, and there's my style the, the loyalties on the night I suppose you say made a better team win but you must have had some degree of split loyalties yeah, I was actually at the game. I remember when Iniesta scored the goal. It was an incredible goal. Chelsea had actually played well. They'd actually played very, very well on the evening and, and were unfortunate in, in some ways. Um, but yeah, listen, I always read, you know, Chelsea's a club I, I hugely respect. They gave me a, a wonderful introduction. Because not only that, I was there at that time, 2004, when I joined. So I was actually there in that period of Eto and and the guys when, when he was right at the top of his game and pressing. And, you know, I used to say to my young players about, you know, show them videos of Eto and how he was never in contact and how he pressed and. And, and how he ran and how he worked. So so there was a great learning going on. Even though I was at Chelsea and we, we had top-class players there, we were also able to show other world-class players and teams and how they functioned. I think he's a little bit underappreciated. I, I keep taking little tributaries off the main river here because, to me, I, I find it hard. I, I've, I've worked around watching and speaking to Villa and Raul and El Nino Torres, and now we'll come to in a minute, the, the huge surprise to me about Luis Suarez, about how clever a footballer he is. Uh, I, I'd seen the scoring and the competitive. But Eto, to my mind, um, is, is, is and always was literally extraordinary. And the embodiment of what you say about, he, he had a tremendous, massive ego off the pitch. But on the pitch, it was win, win, win. And a lot of people talk about winning and don't go like, I'm all in. I'm all in every day. Winning is everything. I, I, and that was Eto'o. And for that reason, over a number of years, you build a position whereby no player in history has won back-to-back trebles at two different clubs, except, I mean, one player in the entire history of football is Eto'o. And I, I think that links into what you were seeing in him as a, a raw player in those early days. Yeah, he was phenomenal. And, and, and when you're a pressing team, and when you want to really go and grab the game by the scruff of the neck and get after teams. You need your striker that has no ego in terms of running. And in that time, 
that's he was one of the best at it. He was so cute. He was so clever in his press, and he was tactically brilliant in relation to what he would press, how he would press the goalkeeper always. He would read second balls, and and then, like I said, he had this, which was a change for me because you grew up in, in British football, and the striker was always told to back in to the the centre half, take the ball on his feet, lay it off. But when you watched Eto. I always just remember uh, speaking to John Terry after him, and, and what any time John would go near him, he would come away from him. So he never, he never had the contact, and he had this incredible ability, Eto, that he would take the centre defenders for a walk, and then when they came far enough, he would get turned and he would nutmeg them, and then he was away. He, in that period, he was he was so difficult to play against, and watching him close up on his movement how explosive he was, and obviously when he got in, he could finish. He was a real talisman for that team. And obviously, I then had the great opportunity to work for two years with with Luis Suarez, who uh, was a very similar type in terms of personality, you know, big player, uh, but no ego. Just worked his socks off, but so tactically good in the game. Different athlete though, Brendan. So Suarez, in effect, not he'd had the Uruguayan school and the, the streets of Uruguay when you're playing there teach you hard things. But he had the Ajax school too, which I think jigsawed perfectly into his understanding of what the ball was for, how you won, whether it was a time to be selfish or whether it was a time to look for a teammate and then get it again. Or, that seemed to blend. But he's such a different athlete than Eto, who who really is a, a phenomenal athlete. And Luis Suarez is is, is 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 good in that sense. But he he never had the pace, for example, and he he, he it, long runs weren't him. So I, I felt when I began watching him here, I hadn't had the time to appreciate other than the highlights when he was with you, that what I was seeing was one of the smartest footballers that I've ever witnessed. And and, and I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, that's probably what made him one of the few football... In fact, he's the best partner Messi's ever had. And it's difficult to partner Messi. Is that making sense? Do I convince you? Louis is a very selfless player. Louis is one where he will get you goals, but he, he's very much a team player. You know, Normally, strikers, of course, they can be up there and they're very much about the goals and, and whatnot. Louis would score. But listen, I, I remember a game... We, we, we played one of the best performances I had at Liverpool at Anfield. It was top versus second. And uh, we beat... Um, beat Arsenal? Yeah, 5-1. Yeah, what a game. And I asked Louis on that day to play just around the corner in a, a in a wide position so I could get Daniel Sturridge central to run in behind Mertesacker and Koscielny to let his pace. Now, on that day, Daniel scored two... And Raheem Sterling scored too. Uh, and he never scored Louis. But do you know what? He was so happy after the game. His running he put in that day, everything he did. And, and that's what I mean by him. He, he, he's a goal scorer. He'll always get goals. But Louis was such a team player. And he would have, he would have looked after Messi as well. You know, I remember first watching Louis when he first went to to Barcelona, people were thinking, mm, "Is he going to fit in technically?" And it can, but like you say, arguably Messi couldn't have a better guy to play with and to look after him because he really looks after his teammates as well, Louis.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please dismiss this because it's an old theme of mine if you don't agree. I think we've talked about in well in John Terry and Eto and Suarez, people who epitomize this truth about like I have to win, we have to win. I believe I've encountered or seen a lot of people in football who talk about being the best, who talk about wanting to win, but they're not all in all the time. Everything out there. It's about like what's best for me or um, if I get a draw here it'll be fine or I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder at the next man in the team or what the headlines say about me or what the directors think about me am, am I differentiating between types of people you've encountered in football and I'm identifying Suarez and Eto and Terry who are ferocious competitors and aren't just better footballers than the ones they leave behind it's about this win 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 yeah but it's also the process to win because that's what's key. Because everyone will tell you, I've had players all my life saying, I want to be the best, I want to be a Ballon d'Or winner. I want to do this and I want to do that. And and then you'll see the one of the last ones in in the morning, just before the time they should, and then one of the first ones away. So so that doesn't stack up. But what you have with these guys, what you see with the, the, the really top-level players is that their commitment mentally, they show that on a physical side and what I mean by that is players will tell you initially mentally this is what I want to do but then physically they don't put the work in you know the, 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 the guys like Louis they're, they're gifted players but they're also working talents and that and, and, and being a winner and succeeding is everything to them in their life so they prepare themselves from their first waking moment how they look after their bodies how they rest, how they recover, how hard they train, how they study the game, and then how they're in, then ready to play. And, and that's the difference between world-class and the guys that maybe are trying to, to get there. Was I right to put John in that group? John Terry? John was a world-class centre-half. You know, he was top, top centre-half. You know, John never got... Everyone sees John in terms of the, how 
courageous he was and how brave he was. John was tactically brilliant. He knew the game. You know, he was a centre midfield player at Chelsea as a young player. And then in a game, he was moved back to centre half. So he played the game as a, like a centre midfield player. Uh, but he was so courageous. But how he organised the game and, and, what, and a top passer he was, you know, left foot, right foot. You know, you could see what, when John played, John could play two touch. And, uh, and that's the players that they, they see the game early. They, they already know what they're going to do and the touch is to liberate them or get them a space or to pretend they're doing something, but they know where the ball's going. Yeah, John, John Terry was a world-class uh, centre-half in the period that he was playing. It, it's certainly a feeling of, of mine that when you went to Celtic, which I think became an extraordinary opportunity for you to to win and win and win because it's it's really vital to to win things and lift trophies to teach yourself about the next level again but it felt to me as an Aberdeen fan so thanks for all you did for us that when you came it's my perspective that when you came you seemed to put a, a microscope on on Scott Brown to the extent that it appeared from the outside that there was um an effect I'm not saying it was the same tactics but when Wenger came to Arsenal and the back five said, wow, everything he's asking us to do, everything he's changing in us has given us a, a greater enjoyment, a longer career, a vitality. And it feels to me that one of the legacies, if you leave the trophies aside and, and the playing style, one of the legacies you've left at Celtic seems to me to have been a completely changed and revitalised Scott Brown. Is that... Is that accurate? Do you explain your relationship and what you tried to do to him? He was an incredible captain for me. And and funny enough, before I joined Graham, I had, uh, someone had rang me and, and was telling me about the job and stuff. And, and one of the first things they said was, listen, if you're going to play how you want to play there, Brendan, you're probably going to have to move on, Scott Brown. And, and, and really, him and I hit it off from the first time we met. I invited him down. When I knew I was taking the job, uh, I invited him down to my house in London and we had a chat, had a really good chat. I explained the ideas. I also was telling him about behaviour, you know, because the, before I went in, Celtic had lost in the semi-final of the uh, of the Cup and they were well beat. They lost in penalties, but they, they, they got dominated in the game by Rangers in, in the Scottish Cup final. So there was a real fear and a, and a sense that Rangers were right they've now been back up to the top level they've got the beaten Celtic in the cup so um, and I'm and, and obviously leading into that game Scott was uh, sat on a street uh, having had a night out and the point I was making straight away to him is you can't do that if you want to be the best player that you possibly can be and you want to lead a club of Celtic's status and institution then you're one of the pillars of this club and from that meeting on he was incredible for me you, you know th this is a guy who uh, I wanted to help him tactically because I seen him as a young player he used to run all over the place because he could run you know but what I was trying to get, at, get him to do was to think and run and not just to run <laughs> So from that, that was going to then be a tactical shift in, in how he would play, but always 
knowing that he, he had the personality uh, and he also wanted to be better and improve. And I've got to say, he, he's such a... He was absolutely magnificent, magnificent for me. I couldn't speak highly enough of him as a, as a guy. You know, he he played the game like he was trying to show people that this was the first time you're seeing me play. You know, every single game, and that wouldn't matter if that was Rangers in a semi final or a final, or up at Aberdeen, or away at Inverness, or away in Barcelona, home to Man City. It didn't matter. He was playing like the people watching were watching him for the first time. And an absolute... He's a much, much better player than what he's given credit for. There's absolutely no doubt if he wanted to, he could have played at the top end of the Premier League. One, because of his personality. And two, because of his ability. He stayed at Celtic all his career and all his life. His family's happy where they've been living. He's playing at a big club. He's European football but for me, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of him. What an incredible player he was for me. It, it looked as if you took somebody you'd encountered. Okay, maybe he had to alter nights out a little bit. Maybe he had to alter diet. But you took somebody who is clearly a warrior. And I think we identified Suarez and Eto and Terry amongst many as as warriors too but that that phrase you said about like teaching to run and think you you gave a lie to the old story about a leopard can't change its spots because it was very late in his career not to rescue it and make him better but to ask him to to <laughs> the themes we've been talking about view the ball timing space dictation to other people planning ahead when the ball's about to come to him. You were asking him to do a lot of things that you knew he was capable of, but they were still new to him. That makes you an accomplished teacher, no? No, obviously you need the the pupil to be want to learn. That's that's what's important. And I was fortunate. I went into Celtic there and and, and like you say, they, they had won the titles my idea was to go in and, and see if they could win in a better way. Could we could we enhance the, the, the level of the game? And then could we give the players uh, a tactical idea that gets them thinking in a different way about football? As like you said, as a you know, Celtics always have are, are a club that that style is important. It's not just about winning, you have to win in a in a certain style. Um, and I was very much aware of that so it was a case of trying to bring that game and that tempo and the game that I knew into uh, into work Who were the other good pupils who clicked quickly and, and who adapted quickly and who were ready for it either intellectually or in terms of their, their technique? Well I think firstly I must say that all the firstly all the Scottish boys were amazing you know, because sometimes the British players are, are, are deemed They'll run all day for you and they'll run through brick yeah. walls, uh, but tactically they, they maybe don't understand the game. But all those players, Brownie, Callum McGregor, Stuart Armstrong, Kieran Tierney, they were all absolutely fantastic for me. You know, Callum McGregor's a player that that is he plays the game so simple and, and, and so well. Um you know, he, he was a top-class player. Young Ryan Christie came through um, 
in, in the sort of second season. He had, you know, we'd sent him to your club to Aberdeen, and Derek done a, a brilliant job with him, just getting him to play, but play under pressure, bulk up his body. Uh, so by the time he came back to Celtic, he, and then he took his opportunity, his big opportunity came against Hearts in the semi-final at, uh, at, at Murrayfield when he came on and made the difference in the game. And from that moment, he really, really produced and, of course, scored in a cup final, a league cup final against Aberdeen, the winner. So, uh, so yeah, so the Scottish boys were, were, were absolutely brilliant. For all your achievements, Brendan, I have to say that um, when you moved to Leicester, I, I could easily see the, 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 the logic. I, I could see that what I called the vista in front of you because some players have been added. But if you look now at <clears throat> Madison, who's special, Tielemans and Chilwell and Soyunko, who's just been a recent, mm, he's, he's got much more exposure now because of the Maguire sale. But it's quite clear that you and your staff understood that built into the whole idea about Harry going and the price that, that there was somebody who could... If you think about Barnes and Didi and Chowdhury and Gray, <clears throat> the list of the, the, the talents, the mentalities, their ages, you've never had a bigger palette in front of you, irrespective of the, the trophies and the good football at Celtic, the, the, the massive institution and the good footballers that you had Gerard and Coutinho and Suarez. This is a completely different palette for you to impose your ideas on in a squad that seems to me to be like a sponge soaking up your ideas in terms of play. Yeah, I, I went to Leicester City because of the, the challenge. It was a big challenge. To Could I take a, a squad of players uh, that for the probably a couple of seasons had been sort of mid-table? Could we then work together... Uh, from the club everyone with the same vision and could we take that team and club into the top six so that was going to be the biggest challenge and um, but from day one the, the, the players have been exceptional you know we've um, we, we altered how the, the, the team was very much obviously when they won the title very much a counter-attack team Um Frighteningly good on the counter-attack, you know, and obviously went on and won the league. And after that there, it became difficult because teams would just deny the space and then uh, the team would have found it a little bit difficult, which which happens. Claude came in and um, and done a very good job introducing young players and, and looking to, uh, to, to, to change the, the style. And then we were able to come in and, and continue with that world based around the ideas of how we've always worked in terms of looking to be a dominant team because that's what supporters want to see for me. They want to see the team go after the game and want to score goals. And uh, But also from a coaching perspective, you want your team to be super organised and you want to see your, your team be creative and uh, and play well. So, so yeah, so, so since we came in, the, as I said, the players have been absolutely first class. A lot of young talents that are supported by a lot of top class senior professionals. Whose trajectory should I be most attentive to, Brendan? Um, just coming to the end of this beautiful chat we've had, because my eyes drawn to Madison not because he played at Petodri, but but because he's he's patently a footballer. You could drop him into several teams of the 60s, 70s, 80s around Europe. And you might think of him as like a 10. And to go with his talents, he's brave. 
he doesn't want to be on the ball all the time because he's greedy. He wants to be on all, the ball all the time because he thinks he can do something to help the team. I, I don't see him as a as a selfish footballer, but I may be seeing that incorrectly. And, and maybe Leicester fans would say to me, Graham, ask Brendan about Chilwell instead because his development, his regular, his reliability, his consistency, and his development, which is the word you use, has been extraordinary particularly since you came to the club so guide me I don't know if you pick one of those that you want to explain to me a little bit about what's going on and whether I've described them adequately but those two come to my mind from what I've watched your team doing yeah there's of course a lot of profile around those two boys two big English talents you know early 20s and thankfully for them and for the teams they'll play for there's still a lot more to come from them James is like you say, I seen him at Aberdeen in my time when I was at Celtic. He was uh, he was lightweight in terms of his body, uh, but he had a real courage uh, to to be creative and get on the ball and do things, and uh, and done very well for Aberdeen. Um, but when I came in, he was one of the players I was looking forward to to working with, just to just to actually see close up, um, and he's this wonderful personality, you know he you know. Some may deem it arrogant, but it's not. He has a football arrogance that when he goes onto the pitch, he knows he can cause teams problems. Um, but what we try to give him in the game is this positional game. So don't be just known as a ten. You know, he's played as an eight off the left side of a of a midfield three, been in good positions, and uh, and also the other side of the game. You know, you have to be able, you know, fundamentally to attack well. You need to be able to defend well. So he has to understand how to press the game and where to press it. So, uh, so these were the, the, the same, you know, the same types of information would have given to Philippe Coutinho because I think Philippe would have said, you know, one of the things he, he felt he learnt when he came into Liverpool working with myself was because he was a talent, but he felt he knew how to defend better and how to press the game better because all the talent is he, he has that, you know. Uh, but it's understanding how to synchronise that within the team. And that's what James is. He, he's a wonderful technician. He's a he's world-class specialist on dead balls, you know, incredible free kicks, corners, everything like that. Uh, he's a threat on goal, either assisting or shooting. And uh, But he has more to come in his game, the more experience he gains at the, at the highest level. A lot of players like that, you have to teach them not to want to be the velvet bow on top of the present whereby the work's all done and now I'll do the look here's the clever thing and it's a lot of players with his gifts feel like that I want to finish if you're willing you, you've you, you we've talked about football and your passion and you're, you're, you're articulate about it and, and I understand why you can teach well but as a human being you, you've gone to a club where the club suffered an extraordinary tragedy what have you had to le- learn about yourself what have you you, you know when you think about the, the people you've had to help or not counsel but bring through what happened because the simply beyond the tragedy clearly the club lost people but also the owner uh, who was utterly beloved who transformed the club and and I guess that to, to, to come through that and to can you continue being competitive to continue saying this environment that Brendan set every day is still important when you feel that life is cruel or life is, is, is short. Must I imagine have been one of the the challenges of your lifetime? 
You could see from the outside, I think everyone's seen Convici and and what he gave the the club and the players. You you could, you know, you, that was that was visible. You could see that for, as an outsider. Um, and then obviously after the the incident that happened, it was it was such a difficult time because this this was a man who was the guiding light of this club and community. And it's only really when you come into it and you speak individually with players, with the people involved, with the community, what what he gave to local hospitals and everything. They just lost someone that uh, it went really, really deep. Because this is like an ownership like no other. You know, they, they, they really, the kindness, the care they give everyone, it's, it, it's absolutely incredible. So they lost that figurehead. And I felt that when I came in, there was an opportunity to ensure that Kunvichai's legacy was a positive one. You know, that, that uh, because it, it, it's so, it's such a, it must have been so difficult for Claude, along with all the other staff there and the players at the time when it actually happened. And I suppose me coming in was, it was a different voice uh, into the mix. And, and really, my, I felt was that we could use his incredible legacy uh, as a signpost going forward and, and and the type of man that he was and the type of care that he was but how competitive he was and that everything was absolutely possible he always felt that that's why he had success as a as a businessman and how he was successful in football because it was it was always possible and I felt that if we could use that legacy and tap into that and shine a positive light on it, then we can really use that as inspiration going forward. And that's what we've tried to do. And uh, because he was such a, an icon for the club uh, and, and such a great man. And I, I only met him once briefly when I was manager at Swansea City when we played against Leicester City when Sven Goran Eriksson was manager. So we had a brief chat then. But... But his son has 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 taken on the mantra, uh, Kuntop, and uh, and he's been absolutely incredible as a young man. What he's had to deal with uh, through his life and business already, but his passion and and the people tell me he's just like his father. He's just like a mini version of his dad. So um, so for for Leicester City, it's um, it, it it there's an exciting time ahead. But of course, uh, there was there was sadness when, when Kunvichai died, and, and and what we will forever be grateful for will be his, his uh, incredible input into the club, and we we shall use that uh, legacy uh, to to keep positive and 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 to keep improving. Brendan Rogers, um, that's been as fun as educational as as we expected it to be. It's been fabulous. Brilliant. Thank you, Graham, and. Uh, and eventually we uh, we got together. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.